So welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. So today our record date is December 1st, 2020. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. And I'm Dr. Phil Chan. Welcome everyone. And we have a guest today, Dr. Jessica Pineda. Dr. Pineda, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. Good to have you, Dr. Pineda. So today's episode is titled, First for the Nation, Hospital Helps Moms to Be Cope with Stresses of Ongoing Pandemic. So we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on at Women Infants Hospital today, a little bit about how Women Infants Hospital is helping moms-to-be and moms who've just had their baby deal with some issues related to the pandemic and just related to just other issues in life as well. And I just do want to tell our audience a little bit about Dr. Pineda. So you went to medical school at the Medical College of Wisconsin. That, yep. That's the old Marquette University there. That's right. And you did your residency in family medicine and psychiatry at University of Cincinnati. And you're double boarded in family medicine and psychiatry. So congratulations on that. And you have a special interest in women's health, reproductive psychiatry, and the integration of behavioral health scientists into primary care settings. And you're currently the program director for the Women's Mental Health Fellowship at Brown University and the medical director for the Center for Women's Behavioral Health at Women Infants Hospital. So Dr. Pineda, welcome to Public Health Out Loud. Great, thanks for having me, very excited. So it's good to have you here today. Dr. Chan and I just want to, we just got to learn about this program. There's so much that we've read about it and it's fun to discover it, um, but we got to learn more about this today. Dr. Chan, start us off today. What should we know about this program? What do you think we should talk to Dr. Pineda about today? Yeah, Dr. Pineda, maybe we can start off. Just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you grew up and what you like to do and you know get to know you. Very good. So I am actually from Iowa. I grew up there. Um, I am from a long line of farmers in Iowa and my dad still farms there. Um, and slowly made my way out east, really um, to work with this patient population here at Women's Behavioral Health. Um, a couple other perhaps fun facts about me are I'm married. I actually have a young daughter of my own who's now one years old. I have two very sweet, very naughty dogs um, as well. And I very much enjoy reading um, and traveling. And so these days I'm doing more reading than traveling, um, but hopefully we'll get back to that soon. Very nice. Makes sense. I think you and me both love to travel, taking a little bit of break from that in 2020 here, but, uh, let's, uh, tell us about the program that you run. Give us a broad overview who it's meant for and, uh, overall what you've been doing here in Rhode Island. Yeah, so I work here at Women's Behavioral Health, which is part of Women and Infants Hospital, and I work with a number of colleagues, and we really focus on mental health throughout pregnancy and the postpartum period. So I have a number of colleagues, including psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, case managers, and our goal really is to help mothers have a healthy pregnancy and postpartum period. And by doing that, also really helping to have a healthy pregnancy, a healthy child, and really help with the development of that child as well. And so we have a number of programs here at Women's Behavioral Health, including an outpatient practice where we see people for evaluations, medication management, and therapy. But then also what is particularly unique about our office is we have the Women's Day program. And the Women's Day program is a partial hospitalization program. And what that means for people who've not been a part of one before is for individuals who may be having some significant symptoms and working with me in the outpatient office or another provider really isn't getting them to where they need to be. So they're still having some significant symptoms, feeling pretty poorly. 
And yet those symptoms are not warranting an inpatient psychiatric admissions, right? So they're, they're feeling relatively safe. They can get along, but they're just not feeling well at all. A partial program allows them to come to the office every day, see therapists, do some group work with other women who may be experiencing similar symptoms and do that for approximately two weeks. So they come during the day, they get to go home at the end of the day. Um, and it really allows for people to feel better and get the support they need um, while not needing an inpatient admission. And one of the unique things about this program is that not only we're treating women while they're pregnant and postpartum and really focusing on the issues that come up around that time, but we also allow them to bring their children with them, specifically the infant. So infants up to one year, one years old can come with to the mothers to this program. So they're not worried about childcare, but also it allows them to deal with sort of the struggles that they are having in the context of having a new baby while they're here with us. You know, we have some other programs here, including we're doing the brixanolone infusions at the hospital, which is this unique um, hormonal treatment for postpartum depression. We also have services in the hospital for consultation. And then one of our colleagues also is working with women with opiate use disorder during pregnancy in the postpartum period and providing um, buprenorphine treatment. So that's kind of the general overview. Yeah, that's great. You know, and it, it's so interesting, you know, so Dr. Pineda, when I'm not medical director, I'm a pediatrician. And when I think about a mom and a baby, you know, just, I can't imagine a mom willingly being separated from her baby. I was just thinking back to when, when Gail, my wife had her, our daughter, Sarah, it was right around Christmas time, as a matter of fact, and she had to go in the hospital just right after Christmas because she had chorioamnonitis. And it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, the first question Gail asked was, can I bring the baby with me? And it was like, well, of course, you know, and it's so important just for breastfeeding, but just importantly, because that bonding is so important. And just having that, that baby with you is so important. And I was just thinking about that. And I was thinking about like, like, when I think about common mental health problems for anybody like depression, anxiety, you know, one of the things I think about in my own life is so I've never suffered from depression or anxiety. I do know what it feels like to have a depressed mood. And I know what it feels like to be anxious. And I know those hurt, you know, and it, it really, you know, I think about, you know, pain, you know, there's the pain you get from breaking a bone, but there's, there's other kind of pain that just, it hurts. And I, you know, what I was just curious about is how did this program get started? I, you know, I'm very, I'm very intrigued by the program, but how did it get started? Let me know more about that, please. Yeah. So the day program here started in 2000. So certainly before me, um, our uh, division director, Margaret Howard was um, involved with that. And I think what we find, and certainly what I found in my training is the ability for these women or women while they're pregnant or early postpartum to get the kind of treatment that they need is lacking. I think there's, um, it's difficult to find the evidence on how to treat these women, certainly from a medication perspective, but even from a psychotherapeutic perspective. And our goal is to have healthy families. And so part of the partial program is, can we get moms with their children in here to get the treatment they need when they need it in a way that they can access it, right? And I think that that really kind of, it was how the program developed. And again, opening in 2000. So now we've been going on for about 20 years and have been able to expand the type of services that we provide, um, which include kind of the outpatient office and psychotherapy and these other services I've already mentioned. Yeah, and I do want to congratulate you on the program. It sounds amazing. And I think, uh, you know, I'm a father of a nine and a 13 year old as well. So uh, definitely understand the importance of uh, of a healthy family. And I think similar to Dr. McDonald, I mean, this is part of, I think, mental illness is about um, also normalizing some of this. I mean, I, you know, similar to everyone else, I would be what the first person to admit, of course, you know, we all have sort of depressed moods at times, you know, anxious, you know, anxious moments of our life. 
Um, and I think during the pandemic, as you're talking here, I'm sort of thinking during the pandemic, you know, there's lots of reports coming out about people who are struggling, you know, mental health, um, depression, you know, de depression is up. Just curious what you're seeing in Rhode Island in general. I mean, I know the pregnancy and postpartum time um, are naturally a little bit of a stressful time. And I can only imagine what's happening with COVID-19. What, what are you seeing as a result of the pandemic here in Rhode Island? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. I yeah, I, I, and just to pick up on the normalizing part, I think it is really important for women to know that depression specifically, but we can include anxiety and other disorders, are one of the leading causes for disability of women of childbearing age. So these are things that many of us are having to deal with, and pregnancy simply doesn't change that, right? Like it does not get rid of those symptoms, and perhaps the postpartum can really kind of trigger new onset symptoms, and. So with the pandemic, we are seeing that moms are more stressed. I think that the pandemic has really brought out a lot of certainly racial, social, but also gender and inequities in the community. And our moms are hit really hard with these, right? Um, I'm sure my husband's listening and he's helping to take care of my daughter and he's like a great support, but I'm really, I think, lucky in that sense. Our moms are having to deal with so many things, right? So they are certainly pregnant and health conscious. So there's a lot of health anxiety, not wanting to get sick, certainly not wanting to get their child, child sick or their children sick. So a lot of that anxiety can ramp up in the context of pregnancy and the postpartum. Um, I think, you know, we see some moms with OCD, which certainly also can be exacerbated in the context of contamination. Also, our moms are doing all the things. They're always doing a lot of things, right? And now they're doing all the things. So perhaps they have some underlying anxiety or depression, and now they have to work from home, right? So they're back at work. And particularly in the spring, daycares are closed. So now they're working from home full-time. They are taking care of a child full-time, and then they might have an older child during remote learning. And so all of these are really compounding and really exposing some underlying anxiety and depression symptoms. And let me ask you this. What would you, for the people listening today, what would, do you have any recommendations of how people can, what people can do in their daily lives, um, pregnant, otherwise postpartum? I mean, what are some things people can do to, to, I guess, handle the stress of the pandemic? And just to reassure people, I do feel like we're, we're almost there with vaccines. So hopefully this is the beginning <laughs> of the end. Um, but do you have any tips for people on how to, you know, reduce overall stress and, and minimize the risk that people kind of hit that depressive um, curve? Yeah, that's a great question. One of the things that I tell my moms when I'm hearing this, right, because they'll tell me like, I can't get anything done. I'm tired. I can't concentrate is the reality of the time now, you can't do all the things. You really have to set appropriate expectations for yourself, right? And so I'm not sure what things are dropped in that context, right? But that might mean your house isn't as clean or the dishes go, don't get done or that you know, you have to do your job, but maybe you're not able to do all these extra things that previously you could. And so speaking with people about expectations and that is the reality, right? And um, a lot of discussions that we have in the context of, you know, pregnancy and new moms is making sure moms get some time for themselves, which is already a really hard thing to do. And now with the pandemic, I do think that it is harder for moms to find those moments or those times when they're doing something for themselves, but we really need to challenge ourselves to do that. Right. So for me, perhaps it would be 20 minutes to read a book. Perhaps it would be going outside for a walk and really trying to get those moments where they can kind of refresh and regroup really on their own. Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point how just stressful the pandemic is for everybody. 
you know, one of the things you got me thinking about was I was just thinking when my kids were little, I was really thinking about how physically exhausting it was just to be a parent of, we had three kids under four at one point. So who saw that coming, all right? And we only have three kids. So that's just, they came in a cluster, which is great. And they're all awesome. But it's like, we had a special kind of tired going on. And there was just, it, the physical exhaustion. Of course, as they got to adolescence, it was more that emotional exhaustion that is a little bit different. And, and that's, that's the joyous journey too. But it's just, you know, one of the things I was just thinking about when you think about just the, the pandemic, how much anxiety it causes. And it, it, it causes fear and fear you know, leads to the dark side as we learned from Star Wars, because it's important to have a Star Wars reference here today. Uh, but I do think about just the fear in the pandemic. And I'm just curious, do you see a lot of that? I mean, are people, do you see people just fear and anxiety? I mean, what are people really talking about when they come to see you in, the, in this time period? Related to the pandemic? Yeah. So, so I, it, it varies, right? I think that we have some individuals that are at higher risk and have experienced the pandemic in a very different way than other people. We've had moms that have had multiple family members pass away from this. And we've had other moms that have been relatively sheltered. And so I think that there can be quite a bit of catastrophizing or that sort of thought process that goes all the way to the end for understandable reasons. Although I do think that we have to do some reality checking with that, right? And so if you do these things, the chances are this will happen, right? Like what does the evidence show us? Um, but this is something that a lot of moms are sort of having to sit with and the kind of unknown, which is why I think the vaccines, in my opinion, can be really very helpful because I think now, whereas over the, the summer and even early spring, there was no end point. At least now, I think we can have some hope for some return to some normalcy and safety. Yeah, you know, I think that's so important too. It's interesting. It, it, there is a lot of fear of the unknown, although one of the things that's known is you know, SARS-CoV-2 is a preventable disease and not everything is preventable, but it's, it's, it's interesting how across the nation, we've had an awful hard time getting folks on board with just simply wearing a mask, being six feet apart and keeping your hands clean and addressing indoor air quality. And, you know, it's funny, like, I don't think those are hard things for anyone to do. Like, you know, I think of hard things to do in life. Like I ran a marathon, that was hard. I did calculus when I was in college, that was hard. I mean, I've done things as a doctor that were hard, like resuscitating newborn babies who didn't want to breathe. Those were hard things, but it seems like preventing the pandemic, personally, just it isn't that hard. It just seems like there's things you can do to prevent it, but there's still a lot of fear of the unknown. And, and, and I, I mean, one of the things I'm just sort of struggling with in my own mind is the pandemic has been so hard in the United States. It's really been one of the hardest hit countries, but it's been really just almost um, partly because there's just been no national strategy. And I think it just rippled down to, to folks on a, on a national, on a local level, quite frankly, when there's such mixed messages from a national um, posture where some people just seem to care very deeply about what to do to prevent it. And others are sort of struggling with doing anything and saying like, ah, you know, it's no big deal. And that's where we get stuck with team human versus team virus. And quite frankly, team virus is winning right now. And team human needs to stop arguing with each other and quite frankly, just focus on what's real what we can do. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, though, is like, when I think about just depression and anxiety and other issues, I, how common are these, by the way, in people who are pregnant? Because quite frankly, I just don't even know this. Like, I know depression and anxiety are common in the United States, but yeah. is it more common during pregnancy? And we got to talk a little bit about postpartum depression, because that's, that's a big issue as well. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, I think what I would say is that 
during during pregnancy is these the rates of these phenomenons are probably relatively the same. So somewhere around 10% of individuals may develop mood symptoms, depression, anxiety throughout pregnancy. I think that that data is a little harder to capture in the context of things like bipolar disorder, um, which the general population has a one to 2% risk of, and other anxiety disorders, which to be quite honest, are just harder to study in general, right? There's, there's a lot more of them. They're a little harder to target as compared to depression. Um, and so I think the, oh, my overall statement about what happens in pregnancy is it is not protective, right? Meaning this is not going to sort of resolve any sort of mood disorders that you have. And I'll talk a little bit about the rates in postpartum, but I, I, I think that talking about getting treatment while you're pregnant, that's why it's so important is because these things don't go away in the postpartum. And we know the best way to set you up for health in the postpartum period is to have you healthy while you're pregnant. Yeah, great. I was going to ask about the, you know, your program and what outcomes you're seeing. Um, tell us what your program looks like. What, uh, what, what do people expect when they first come in and, um, and, and what are the outcomes that you're seeing uh, at the end of the day? Yeah. So I, so specifically related to the, related to the day program. So that's our partial hospitalization program. Initially when individuals are referred to us, they typically come in for what we call an intake. And that's what you'll see someone like myself, or you might see a, another provider here and we'll sort of help determine sort of the best plan of action for you. And if that is the day hospital, then you come into the office every day, usually for about two weeks. The program is programming is about six hours long. During that program, it's comprised of a number of different items. So one of the items would be what we call group therapy, right? And I'm very cautious to moms. I'm like, you're not divulging your deepest, darkest secrets to the group, right? But it is a check-in and it's a really great way to help others, right? And support other women and be supported by them who are going through maybe some similar symptomatology. And so that's sort of like a core feature. There's a number of sort of educational and psycho-ed topics that happen in the context of the group. And then while you're here, you'll be paired with an individual therapist with whom you'll see every day. And so you're going to be working on these symptoms that you're having, kind of figuring out maybe what the underlying conflict is and sort of helping you to deal with that, right? Because when we're a new mom, we grieve our old lives, right? Like it's kind of sad, like there's things that are changed and that's okay. And in the context of becoming a new parent, you also are having to communicate with the people in your lives a bit different, right? And so working on really some new communication styles. And we also have a psychiatrist here who can help with any kind of med management during that program as well. We also have a nursery. And so that is available to moms if when babies are sleeping or they're needing to do something else, they can bring the baby to the nursery and there's nursery staff to help care for that infant while they are here. Um, and we also have a case manager that can help with other logistics if there's some issue with housing or other kind of social services that are needed. And I find that moms... 95%, you hate to say 100, right? But 95% of moms will feel better by the end of this program and are really leaving with some additional tools to help them down the road, pregnancy and after, to help deal with some of their anxiety and depression and things like that. Yeah, and that's great. And I think, so it's interesting. One of the things I just keep coming back to, and you hit this several times, so I think it's just so important. I, I love the idea that the baby and the mom yeah. stay together. I just think that is so critical for just a lot of reasons. But how is it we were first in the nation with this? Because I think that's so intriguing. Like, in other words, I love that Rhode Island was first with this, but I'm just curious. Do you know the story about that? I do not know the specific story behind that. I know. So Margaret Howard is our division director who really was the... Um, 
probably the brainchild behind this. And I suspect she saw sort of the problems we were seeing. Also, there are other areas in the world with whom mothers do go into psychiatric hospitals with their babies, right? So places we were um, in India a few years ago and toured their hospital where mothers come in with their baby. Australia has some similar programs. And I think certainly one of the barriers initially can be an insurance or sort of like a risk of having your child come into a program with you, right? Um, and that's sort of the story as I know it. So is it is this a scalable program and do other states do things like this now? Yeah, so after initiation of our program over the past probably five to seven years, a number of programs have replicated the program here. So there is now a center in New York, the Motherhood Center. There's a program in Minnesota, Washington, and a, and a few other states as well. And so they are sort of gaining some traction and having some services outside of Rhode Island as well. Great. And uh, I think for a lot of us physicians, what really, you know, one of the big reasons we do this work, right, is to have this to have impact on people's lives and patients. And just curious, uh, specific memories of li lives changed by this program. Do you have any stories uh, that you want to re relay on to the, the, the listeners here? You know, I... I do have a story and it's it's not a story from someone from this program, but I think it's a story that kind of is an example of why this program is so important. And I trained as a family medicine physician. And so part of that training is in prenatal care. And so my third year of residency, I was in a prenatal office doing an intake for a new patient who was there with her partner. And one of her biggest concerns was whether or not she could continue on a medication called Prozac in her pregnancy. And this was, she was using it for the treatment of OCD for which it was very well controlled on the medication. And as an answer to her question, we said, no, you cannot be in this medicine in pregnancy. It causes something called persistent pulmonary hypertension, which I had never heard of before, right? And I saw how anxious she was when we said that. And just as a caveat, I, I think that the context of that is not accurate in case anyone's listening to that and is on Prozac. Um, and I saw how nervous she was to come off that medicine. And by that time in my training, I had also worked with a lot of patients with OCD and I knew how debilitating and disruptive and harmful that could be. And you know, that sort of sparked a question in me. It was like, what do we know about this medicine in pregnancy? And what do we know about this? The one thing that we weren't talking about in that visit with this patient or to each other was, well, what do we know about OCD in pregnancy? What do we know about OCD in the postpartum period? We didn't talk to her about that at all, right? And what we know is that can be a very debilitating disease, especially in the postpartum period, it can severely impact a woman's ability to care and attach to their child. And so this was a case that I think really kind of sparked my interest and my motivation for treating this patient population, which I think is, you know, pretty underserved from that aspect. And, you know, I didn't take care of that woman after that day. I didn't see her, but I think about her and I hope she did well. I worry that she could have had a really hard time. And I wish we had a program like this that could have better helped her where we could have, you know, simply had the risk benefit conversation to talk about what the risks and benefits of treatment and not treatment were, allow her to do some shared decision-making with us and also provide her all these other treatments, including a partial program where she could talk to other women about what she was going through. And I think that that really could have changed the outcome and really allowed her to enjoy this pregnancy and the postpartum period. Um, 
and I know that we have done that here, right? Like I know that there are many cases that we do that here for. Yeah, I like the way you, you said that. I mean, I, I think it gets to like, I mean, I worry about my patients because that's part of what you do as a doctor is worry about your patients. I don't know that I tell them that. I don't think I've ever told them that over the last 30 <laughs> years, but I think part of my job is to worry about patients. But I worry less when I know I have other people helping and I know I'm offering the best care. And, you know, one of the things I'm really enjoying about the program is these wraparound services. You know, in other words, there's all kinds of avenues for people to get the help they need. It just seems very comprehensive. And I think that's really, you know, important to people. And it just, it gets me thinking, if someone's listening to this podcast today, they might be thinking like, you know, I need this program, or I know someone who needs this program, or, you know, how do I access that? But I would, it's a referral-based program, right? So in other words, it's not like you call your, your program directly, your doctor or healthcare provider refers you to the program. Is that how it works? So it's worked both ways. Yeah. So people can self-refer, they can call their own. They can also speak with their, you know, obstetrician, their family medicine doctor, their internal medicine doctor, and they can also send referrals to us. So it really does work either way. So if people do want to get involved and call on their own, how do they do that? What's the number to call? What is the number? Yes, I actually know that. I have that memorized. It is 401-453-7955. And it'll walk you through kind of choices to choose. And if you're interested in an intake or an evaluation, um, we can help you do that. Yeah, I know Women and Infants has an ISPA website and they call this the day hospital. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's just an important tool as well. So we're getting close to the end of our time together. Are there any other things you think we should know that we didn't talk about with the program? No, I think that covers it. We are here to help you. We're happy to see you in whatever way that looks like. I have one final question for Dr. Pineda here. Yeah. You mentioned a couple times you like to read. End us on your favorite genre. And do you have a recommendation for people? I love to read myself. That's why I'm asking. I uh, don't know that I have a genre. Certainly, I read novels, right? And I had a couple of years ago, I read A Little Life, and the author's name I can't say, but it is one of the best books I've ever read. It is heartbreaking. So it's not an uplifting book, but it's really quite wonderful. Sometimes those are the books to read that move you. It's interesting. I just finished reading um, Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin, and it was just a wonderful story about leadership of FDR, Theodore Roosevelt, Abraham Lincoln. And Lyndon Baines Johnson. I just I learned a lot about American history, but it was just it's you know I think real stories are, are really where sometimes I learn the most in my own life. So Dr. Chan, it's amazing, but here we are at the end of another episode. What are what's the final word for today, Dr. Chan? Great. Well, thank you both. And in closing, I leave you with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is: give even if you have a little, and that's from the Buddha. Thank you all, and be well. So I want to thank Jose Garcia, our executive producer. I want to thank Carol Stone, who did our technical direction today. We want to thank our guest, Dr. Jessica Pineda. Great, thank you.